Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Matthew chapter 15, we have a very interesting conversation recorded here between the Lord Jesus and a Canaanite woman. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, it says that Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Looking at this interaction, this conversation, it's easy to wonder why Jesus spoke to her in the way that he did. He spoke to her in a very negative way, especially when he referred to her as a dog, in effect. This woman came to him seeking for his help, and he turned her away initially. His disciples were trying to get rid of her, but she was very persistent. She was very persistent, and eventually, through continuing to persist with the Lord Jesus, eventually her request was fulfilled. Sometimes people will look at this passage in the scriptures, and they will conclude that if you're persistent enough with the Lord... If you will speak to him enough, with enough enthusiasm, with enough determination, even though his answer may initially be no, eventually, if you bother him enough, he might respond very positively in your favor and give you precisely what it is you're seeking from him. Especially if it's something like this, if your child is demonically possessed, for example, surely he would want to set your child free from demonic possession. I would think that he would want to do that. And so perhaps he's just looking to see how determined you really are what you are really willing to go through in order to have your child healed. Sometimes people will look at this passage believing that that is the intent of this conversation and that eventually the Lord will respond as an act of mercy to your requests, especially if you are persistent with him. Sometimes people get a little surprised, however, when the Lord Jesus refers to the woman as a dog. Well, technically... That's not what he says. Technically, what he says, according to the original language, is that she was a puppy, that the the word is puppy, it's not really dog. And so that's not quite as severe as perhaps we might think he was being. He was not necessarily quite that severe or that rude. However, it is true that the Jews did look on the non-Jewish people as dogs. That was a term that they used in order to identify a non-Israelite person. But it's not to say that they're demeaned in any way necessarily. It is a demeaning term, 
And it certainly is very rude, especially when you consider that this person is a human being. This person is someone who is created by the Lord himself. However, what that really means is that the person is an unclean person, unclean in the sense that they do violate the dietary laws or they do violate some of the other laws that the Lord gave with regards to how to identify someone as being ritually clean or ritually unclean. The dog was an animal that was ritually unclean. You never, ever were permitted to touch an unclean animal in any way. You certainly were not permitted to eat an unclean animal. I always find it a little odd that there are a lot of dogs in Israel, for example, today. While they won't have any pigs, they certainly feel okay with having dogs, and yet a dog is just as unclean as a pig, according to the dietary laws. Kind of a novelty from my perspective, but there's no need to try to pass judgment on things like that. I'm only saying that the Israelites did refer to non-Israelites as dogs, and so it would be a term that his disciples would recognize, that the non-Israelites would recognize, they would see that in that sense, that the people of Israel distinguished themselves from the non-Israelites in this way. So when the Lord Jesus was speaking to her, he spoke to her in a vernacular that his disciples would understand, that she would understand. But for him to say something like this, I believe what is more important behind this statement is that For him to say this is to say that there is a distinguishing characteristic between the Israelites and the non-Israelites. And that distinguishing characteristic was that the Lord had sent him to the Israelites, not to the non-Israelites. And so while the Israelites were technically just as unclean as the non-Israelites, in the sense that they did need to be saved, they certainly needed to be saved, that the non-Israelites, the Gentiles, needed to be saved just as much as the as the Jews needed to be saved. While that is true, the Lord was still sent specifically to minister to the people of Israel. And so I believe that when the Lord confronts her with her persistence, he is informing her, he is making it as direct as possible He is speaking to her directly in a way that she will clearly understand that he is not there for her. That's not why he's there. That's not why the Lord sent him, at least during this stage of his ministry. Certainly after he died and rose again from the dead, the gospel was presented to the Gentiles and everyone can be saved. But during this stage in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, he was not here to minister to the Gentiles. That was the main issue that was presented here. Now, in order to really appreciate this conversation, it is necessary to understand what happened in Jesus' ministry just a little bit earlier. It's very important to understand this because that really is, to me, what this conversation is about. I realize that in most cases, Bible scholars are looking at this section in the scriptures from the perspective of the Lord being merciful out of persistence or that the Lord will reach out to the Gentiles, and this is a foreshadowing of that reality, I do believe that these things are all very true. No question in my mind about it. However, I believe that the real issue here has yet to be disclosed, that I have yet to see anybody talk about the real reason why the Lord Jesus responded the way that he did. And I believe that there is a deeper, more important reason that we should consider as to why he related to her in this way. For example, consider at the beginning of his ministry, when he was first ministering, he was healing lots of people. Anyone who would make an appeal to him would be healed. 
He was very forthright about it. He was very involved in people's lives, willing to heal them without any conversation like this at all. If they asked, they would receive. There was there was no debate involved. There was no need to try to find out if they had greater faith than they thought that they did. There was no need for any of that at all. The Lord was very active in responding to the needs of the people. That was a significant part of his ministry. But there was a change in his approach. A change did occur, and this is a very important thing to recognize because it does divide his ministry into two parts. One part during the earlier part of his ministry when he was speaking very directly and healing people very publicly. And then there is the second part when he began to speak to people parabolically and began to heal people not in a public way but in a private way. There was a point in his ministry when this division or this change actually occurred. And this was described in Matthew's Gospel, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 12. It was in Matthew chapter 12 that there was a major miracle that was performed, that the Lord Jesus performed, that changed everything about how he reached out to the people of Israel. In Matthew chapter 12, it begins with the circumstance of Jesus walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. And this, of course, was a very, very serious matter. I talk about this in a series that I did on the Sabbath law, and so I'm not going to get into it in detail on this broadcast. I don't have time for it. But I would like to encourage you to listen to the programs that I did on the Sabbath law, because it is in those programs that I did address this and explain the incredible significance of Jesus walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath days. I did that in those programs, and so please do take the time to get a hold of those. Either download those for free over the Internet, or just give me a call or send me an email, and I'll send you the CDs in the mail. But after this, he then healed someone who was blind and mute. In other words, this person could not see, speak, or hear. This person was not able to communicate in any way whatsoever. This is described in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. That is Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, where it says, Then a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. And all the crowds were amazed and were saying, This, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? This was a very important miracle. I actually explained this miracle as well in the first program that I did on the series of accounting for the three days and three nights that the Lord Jesus was in the grave. Because it's here in this chapter that the Lord Jesus then mentions that only one sign will be given to the nation of Israel, one more sign, and that is the sign of Jonah, that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. And so I used this in order to explain the situation where the Lord Jesus finally gives the prophecy that he's going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. And in that series, I give explicit detail on how he was actually in the grave for three days and three nights and how we can truly account for all of those three days and all of those three nights. But in that program, I began it by explaining the importance of this specific miracle, and I'm only going to summarize it for right now, but I would like to encourage you to listen to that program too. The the summary of it is that the Pharisees were teaching the people that the only one who could possibly cast a demon out of an individual who was blind, who could not speak or see or hear, 
The only one who could do that would be the Messiah. And again, in that program, I explain the details as to why that is the case. They sincerely believe that only the Messiah could accomplish this miracle. And so when the Lord Jesus performs this miracle that they believed only the Messiah would perform, when he did perform this miracle, they rejected him anyway. And so at this point, the Lord Jesus says, look, I have had enough. I am no longer going to perform any miracles, any signs, any wonders, any anything in order to assert my messianic identity. That is the summary of this situation described here in Matthew chapter 12 that starts out with their rejection of him because of him walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath day and then him healing the man who was demon-possessed. And that, of course, was the prelude for him declaring that he would be in the grave for three days and three nights. But this is the premise that I need to start with in order to really explain Matthew chapter 15. In this case, it just has to do with the fact that Jesus said that he was no longer going to perform any miracles in order to assert his messianic identity or to validate his messianic claim that he is the Messiah. That's really critical to understand because as you proceed into the ministry of the Lord Jesus and you get to Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, again, you would then read it very differently. Again, in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, it says that Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now, this is the problem, and that is that in verse 22, she calls out to him on the basis of him being the son of David. She is asking him to perform a miracle on the basis of his identity as the son of David in this case and in this context. This means that you, Jesus, who are the Messiah, Please heal my daughter who is cruelly demon-possessed. And he says no, not because he wants to be rude, not because he wants to see how enthusiastic she is, and not to see how great her faith is, not to test her. That's not why he says no. I believe that the real reason why he said no is because she asked him on the basis of his messianic identity. If he heals this woman, especially in this public scenario, in this public situation, if he heals this woman's daughter, this woman's daughter on this basis, if he heals her on the basis of her requesting him to do so as the Messiah, then he would violate his claim that there would be no sign that would be given anymore except for the sign of Jonah, as he described in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 12. So if he does perform this miracle, it could be argued that the Lord Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah, and certainly you are a Canaanite, you're not really an Israelite, and so I'm not really doing this for the Israelites. But there are some Israelites around, and they could see this happen. And because you have asked me to do so on the basis of me being the Messiah, then I would be performing a sign or a miracle on the basis of me being the Messiah. I would be giving a public testimony, and that would be against my previous claim that I made that I would no longer perform any miracles or any signs in order to assert my messianic identity. That's the risk here. That is the concern. I really believe that that is the concern. And so if you were to consider that, if you were to consider that assumption, continue to read in the verses, and I think you will see things illuminated more 
In fact, I think that this becomes three-dimensional even as opposed to just two-dimensional. Continuing in verse 23, But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so he did not respond to her at all. In this case, he responds to the disciples. He tells them that he was only sent to the house of Israel for one thing. And the other thing is is that he's not going to perform a miracle out of her recognizing him as the Messiah. She obviously overheard or she was told by one of his disciples that this was his response. And so in verse 25, it says, But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, this is different. This is very, very different. Please pay attention to this. Before, she said, Lord, son of David, help me. But now, Lord, help me. This is unique. This is a different appeal. In this case, Lord, do not help me on the basis of you being the Messiah. I am now asking you to help me just because it's me. Just because I'm a person. Just because I'm an individual. Will you please help me, my own personal need, that has nothing to do with you being the Messiah, that has nothing to do with your situation with your people in Israel, Nothing to do with that. Would you please just have mercy on me? That's what she says. This is different. And to this, he responds. It's at this point that he finally responds to her. But he responds to her in a way that he wants to make sure she understands why he is helping her and why he wouldn't help her. This is explained in verse 26. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What he is saying is is that it's not good, it's not appropriate for him to take what was to be given to the children of Israel and give it to somebody else. That's not what he's there for. Now, when it comes to salvation, that's exactly what he did. But that's different. This has to do with a miracle. This has to do with a healing in somebody's flesh. It certainly is spiritual in nature, but it is not the spiritual solution of salvation for humanity. This is something that's still quite a bit different. And at this time, he was sent to the nation of Israel to give to them, out of the abundance of what he has, to heal and to bless their flesh as is necessary in order to get them to see that he is who he claimed to be in order to give enough evidence that would show the people that he is the Messiah so that they would believe in him, so that they would trust in him and eventually receive what he came to truly offer, which is the restoration of the Holy Spirit to humanity so that humanity can be saved, all people, Jew and Gentiles. In this case, however, he's just making sure that she understands that what she's asking for and what he could be willing to give her has got to be something different besides what he came to give the people of Israel because it would be unfitting, it would be inappropriate, it would be contrary to his purpose, to his mission, to the reason why he was there. And so she recognizes that, she acknowledges that in verse 27, but she said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, 
Okay, at this point, there is a clear understanding. She is responding to him and understanding that she is not going to get anything out of him because he's the Messiah. Important to see that. He's not going to heal her because he's the Messiah. And he's not going to heal her because he came there to heal people. That's another thing that she's now acknowledging. Continuing into verse 27, But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. In other words, she's not asking for what was to be given to the children of Israel. That's not what she's asking for. She's asking for what the children of Israel did not want. That's what she's asking for. She acknowledges that he was there to give to them what they needed, to give to them what they desired. But she's not asking for that. She's asking for what they would not take. That's the basis from which her appeal is made to him. And as soon as this is clear, as soon as this is clearly understood between the Lord Jesus and the Canaanite woman, as soon, as quickly, as promptly as this was clearly understood and recognized, Jesus said to her in verse 28, Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. At once. No delay. Absolutely. Because there was a clear recognition and understanding that he was only going to perform this miracle out of her personal desire, out of her personal need, that he would not perform this miracle in order to assert himself as the Messiah. He was not taking from what was to be given to the children of Israel. This was just something different. It was something extra. It was just something that he did personally while he was personally interacting with the people. Can you imagine that? When we look at the scriptures, we see all of the things that he has done for a purpose. All of the things that he has done in order to assert himself as the Messiah, to give evidence of him being the Messiah, in order to reach out to the people so that they would believe him, so that they would trust him. That's why he did what he did. There were many people in Israel who were not healed. There were many people who needed to be healed and they were not healed. We know about those people. Some of them are described in the book of Acts when his disciples, the apostles, healed them later. For example, the man who was at the gate, who was there for his entire life, who could not walk. And Peter reached out to him, grabbed him, and lifted him to his feet. There were lots of people who experienced healings that the Lord Jesus did not heal. But in this case, this is so incredible that the Lord Jesus was there, and even though he was there, he would be willing to do something outside of the purpose by which he was really there. That while he was there, he would still do things, even though they really didn't have much to do with the direct purpose of his ministry. That he was still there to reach out to everyone. That he was not being exclusive, and he was not wanting to turn anyone away, Jew or Gentile but that he did operate within the confines of the scriptures and the prophecies and the structure that was laid out beforehand by him. He did do that, but on the side, as opportunities did present themselves, and there was complete clarity and certainty with regards to what he was doing, he still healed those and helped those who were not a part of the nation of Israel at all and not a part of his program. 
while he was there and while he had time, he did live in service for other people. And so I wanted to take some time to explain this passage in the scriptures, to explain this conversation. I believe understanding that you can have a greater appreciation for this besides just thinking that perhaps the Lord Jesus was rude or that he needs us to be persistent. I don't think he needs us to be persistent at all. I think he needs us to be an understanding people, that we need to truly understand him. We need to understand what he's really here for, what he is truly here to accomplish. And in the midst of that, I do believe we can grow to know him more. And certainly he will do things for us that we ask him to do, even if it is outside of the direct purposes that he has. But do not think of this as an example that we need to persist in some way, but instead just to have an understanding that as long as there is clarity, as long as things are clear, as long as there is an understanding between you and the Lord Jesus, great things will still happen. There are many passages in the scriptures that do correspond very well to this healing of the woman's daughter who was demon-possessed. For example, when the Lord Jesus healed the leper early in his ministry, and when he healed the man who was born blind later in his ministry, in order to truly appreciate and understand the depths of what he did and how the people perceived his miracles that he performed, it's very important to understand what the people believed at that time, how they perceived and how they saw the Lord Jesus in terms of what he did how he did it, why he did it. Without understanding this background, it's very easy to just read past these sections in the scriptures and say, oh, that was a nice miracle, that was convenient, that was really helpful. I'm sure that fellow really appreciated that. But without really understanding how the people and how the culture perceived the event as it unfolded, it's very easy to just read past it and have no real understanding of the true impact of the true power of what the Lord Jesus was doing that had a profound impact on the people who he was ministering to. And so I would like to encourage you to get a hold of those two programs, the one on the healing of the Jewish leper, the other one on the healing of the man born blind. I do believe that those are a good follow-up to this broadcast of the healing of the Canaanite woman's daughter. And I do pray that you also will continue to grow to discover what you have in Christ Jesus. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you, man.